Welcome to the sermon audio for English Ministries at Tri-City Chinese Christian Church. We meet Sundays at the Kyle Center in Port Moody, British Columbia at 11.30 a.m. This week, Pastor Joe Chan teaches, continues our series on Galatians by looking at Galatians chapter 5. Um, but to the message today, I understand that we're going through a sermon series on the book of Galatians. And one of the biggest things that we have to keep in mind is always this, this, this tension between Paul and uh, the Jews. On one side, Paul is saying, live in the Spirit. On the other side, the Jews are saying, live according to the law. And this is where we're going to jump into chapter 5, because verse, uh, chapters 1 to 4 was all about the history and the arguments and that kind of stuff. And chapter 5 and 6 begins this, this new talk about how to practically live, what it really means to apply the theology of, all of everything that Paul had argued beforehand, talking about freedoms and talking about living according to the Spirit and that kind of stuff. And we dive into the practical matter of what that really looks like and what that really means. So in, uh, for, for today, we are jumping into Galatians chapter 5. Tappity-tap, open your phones. I don't use slides because everyone has phones. Uh, so just jump on in there, and we are going to jump into chapter 5. Before we begin, let me say a quick word of prayer. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. And as we look into your word, I pray that the words from my mouth, words from my heart, are only for you, only from you, and only point to you. So we ask that your spirit would be here to teach us, to convict us, and to guide us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5. Freedom in Christ, this is the title. Here we go. Verse 1 says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is, that he is obligated to the, obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race who cut in on you and keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. He contrasts this with this part, life in the spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedoms to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh." 
They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified with the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This passage begins to talk about everything that Paul was saying. And he he starts with this, this idea of freedom, saying that, It is in Christ that you have been set free. By the work of Jesus Christ, you have been set free. And there's there's two understandings of freedom that Paul is referring to here. And we have to contrast that with what our society considers to be the freedom that Christians have. Because in recent days, and recent years, you have seen uh, in, in our news and in our government and in our neighbor's government, our neighboring country's government, the calls for freedom that have absolutely nothing to do with the freedom in Christ. Right? The freedom in Christ that we're talking about is the freedom to, to, to live holy and pleasing lives to God. Freedom is to follow Jesus Christ, to live for Him. The freedom that we are talking about also is the freedom from the law, the law of the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, the things that tied the Israelites to their identity. And the thing about this freedom is that we actually don't understand what freedom really means. Even the Israelites at the time had trouble with this idea of freedom. It should be pointed out that chapters 5 and 6 really emphasize um, what it means to to live according to the Spirit, whereas 1 to 4 we're emphasizing the, the whole idea of the Mosaic laws, right? Last week, Pastor, Pastor Michael talked about what it meant to live according to the laws and what, what the freedom really meant. So I'm not going to dive too much into that. But the, 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 the laws, the conclusion that we have to have is that the law actually was attainable. And that's where the Jews didn't understand why they needed freedom from the law. They had this crazy, crazy idea that I can get through this and I can earn salvation because I can complete the law. Even Paul himself in Philippians chapter 3 talks about boasting in his Jewness, in his identity as a perfect Jew who could uphold the law. And if he failed, and that's a big if because he was a very devout man, he could simply walk over to the temple make a sacrifice, be wiped clean, and walk away. And in this way, according to the law, anybody, just anybody, could be restored to okay. But the law does not actually answer the question of freedom in Christ. See, the law was meant to set people aside, a certain chosen people to be set aside and identified as God's people. 
And this law was just meant to prevent people from sinning more. It wasn't meant to keep people, uh, uh, it wasn't meant to help people overcome sinfulness. It was meant to keep people from sinning more. So there's a very big difference between overcoming sin and actually like getting over it, being, being forgiven and being restored to holiness versus just not sinning more, right? That's like when, when, when my boys get together and every day, it's every day, they fight because they're boys. They have fist fights and we say, hey, hey, stop, stop the fighting. Say, say sorry, I'm sorry. You know, you, you've, you've seen this in little kids all the time. They say, okay, forgive each other. All right, I forgive you. Don't, no more fighting. Fine. But you know that doesn't change the heart. You know that there's still no real forgiveness there. There's, there's still animosity. Like, they haven't forgotten it. Right? Thank goodness they're boys, and, like, eventually they'll punch each other in the face and actually move on. But if I had two girls, you know that would be a very different thing. Right? When my boys make fun of my daughter, she holds on to it. And she's like, no, they're so mean. They do this and that and that and that and that. I'm like, baby, that was like last year. You, you got you to gotta forgive them and let it go. But stole my, stole my thing. Okay. See, the law and, and the rules that we set up is like, okay, look, no punching, no stealing each other's stuff. Respect each other. Okay, okay, okay. But it doesn't actually help them forgive each other and move on, right? And this is the kind of thing that's happening with the law. And the Jews don't understand that just because you are circumcised, and this is why there's a big treatise here that Paul talks about circumcision. It's the marker of obeying the law, right? And, and, and Paul uses the idea of circumcision and, and this idea of um, cutting to play on words and that kind of stuff, to talk about the identity of the individuals. <clears throat> he, says, he says that when you subject yourselves to just the law, you're not actually focusing on overcoming. So you have to remember that to be, to be truly a follower of Jesus Christ, it actually has nothing to do with following the rules, it has everything to do with following the Spirit's promptings for who you are. It's sure it's good and fine for us to live a life that is according to the rules, but if our heart hasn't changed, if our heart hasn't been convicted by the Holy Spirit, if we have not been led by the Holy Spirit to become different, then we've missed the whole point. We've missed the whole point. From verse 13 onward, what we have here is the beginnings of Paul's, Paul's teaching on how to live a life by the Spirit. And what this really looks like, a life lived in the Spirit is a life of holiness. And I think the hardest thing for us is, is to understand that holiness, the way that modern society defines it, the way that our secular world defines it, is not actually what God wanted for us. Right? When I say holiness, our modern understanding, our current day understanding is, oh, we have to be perfect. We have to be absolutely spotless, 
good reputation, cannot have show any kind of weakness, right? That's, that's the whole idea of holiness that people have placed on the church, but it's not God's definition of holiness. The word holy in the Old Testament and the, in, the, in the New Testament has more to do with the idea of being set apart, being separated, being designated for special purpose. To be sanctified comes from the same root word that, that we get um, the word holy. It has to do with being designated for a special use. For example, my wife is uh, German-Canadian. She's, she's white, right? Some of you know that. Most of you know that. So in her tradition, we have these beautiful china plates that are the formal dinnerware. Formal dinnerware. We received these as a wedding gift uh, 18 years ago when my wife and I got married. They were handed down from the family. They were her grandmothers, then they were her moms. Now they're hers. Not once in 18 years have we ever used these dishes. They are packed away for a special purpose. And I believe that unless the queen herself came, we will never use these dishes because they're that special. And that's the kind of set apart that Christians need to understand. This is what our lives need to be. We need to be set apart for special purpose. But we are supposed to be used by God in the world. We shouldn't be hiding away in our own little corner, never to engage with society. No, that's, that's not the whole point, right? Dishes that are sitting in a box are kind of useless. They don't do anything. It's a waste of space. Christians who sit away in a box, never engaging society, you can make that parallel. I don't dare say it, but you can make the parallel in your own head. right? We as Christians need to live set apart and yet still fully engaged. And that's the balance that we need to learn. And this is where this whole idea of living according to the law and, and, and living by the Spirit needs to come into a cooperative balance. Yes, the law sets us apart. Yes, the law shows us what it means to live a certain way. But that's not the measure of holiness. Because in reality, God does not demand our perfection. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that we are to be absolutely perfect in our actions and whatever. Scripture is very clear that God will make us perfect. He calls us in 1 Peter, in Deuteronomy, and in many places, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. We are to be holy. So what is holiness, right? The word kadash, or the, that's the Hebrew word, kadash. Or, or, or the, the uh, Latin word is sanctus, where we get the words sanctuary. Or sanctified. All of them referring to this whole idea of a sacred designation, right? A sanctuary is a sacred designated space. Sanctified is a sacred designated position or uh, uh, like just being justified, right? We are set. We are designated as holy, special. And this whole idea, this whole idea gives us a warning that we cannot, we cannot ab 
abuse the freedoms that we have. This whole scripture says you're free. You're free from the law. That doesn't mean we can just completely disregard it and, and cast it aside, though. Because the law, the law of the Old Testament, while they hold no spiritual bearing for us now, they still identify what it means to be set apart. How we are supposed to live to be different from the world. So we still have to pay attention to it, but it's not the measure for our holiness anymore. It's just an indicator of the direction we're supposed to live in. But what happened with the Jews was that they say, okay, we're free now. Now we can do whatever we want, and God's going to forgive us. And that's the other problem, because Romans chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 3 give us these warnings about living in such a way. Revelation chapter 6 tells us what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul says, no, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And this is the thing, this, ooh, it drives me crazy. This is the thing that modern Christians, 21st century Christians, have been taking and abusing the grace of Jesus Christ. So many times we hear the protesters on the street, we hear the people on our social media pages claiming that we are the true sons of God. You have no authority over me to make me do X, Y, Z. And you can, you can fill that in with just about anything right now and you totally understand what I'm talking about. You've seen it. You've heard it. Maybe in some ways we may be guilty of having said it as well. But freedom in Christ does not supersede any of these things. Government mandates, medical mandates, all of these things that we're talking about have nothing to do with our Christian freedom. Christian freedom isn't the freedom to do whatever we want because we are God's children, that he is the one true king, and the one true ruler. No, 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 the rest of the scripture is very clear. Jesus himself said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Paul said, subject yourselves to the authorities, right? Listen to the government because you are citizens of the kingdom right now. You can't just disregard them because you're a Christian. And we have to be very, 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 very sure that being separated and set apart doesn't mean that we are in a box, sitting off to the side, and not engaging in society. So live your lives, pay your taxes, go to work, follow the mandates, right? If we don't, if we don't do this and we don't do that, and we're just kind of bleh, then if, if we're, not, we're nothing. If we're not for God, we're not against God. If we refuse to speak up, if we refuse to be different, if we just kind of go along with the flow, then we're nothing. And Scripture is also very clear about that. Revelation chapter 3 says this, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of them. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. This is the Lord speaking to the church. You either got to be for Jesus or else you're not. 
There's no halfway. There's no in-between. All for Jesus or not. But like I said, all for Jesus doesn't mean militarily or combatively against society. It means to integrate and to stand out, stand apart, even though we're in the society. Our holiness, our behavior, our actions needs to be something that is bright and shining, something that is attractive to society around us. Right? Verse 16 says, So I walk, walk by the Spirit, right? living holiness, living holy lives, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So, remember the law highlighted what, our, what, what sets us apart. Our nature, our sinful nature, is against God. And this is one of the hardest things for people in, in modern society to grasp onto as well. We, we have this, this crazy philosophy starting, I, I think it was like, oh, maybe mid-90s, where it was treat yourself, discover yourself, be good, and and. and like this whole, even the education system changed to focus on self-discovery, right? Be who you were born to be. Be true to yourself. You've heard all these slogans, and the problem with it is our, who I was born to be was tainted, has been corrupted by sinfulness. Who I am naturally is not holy, is not set apart. So when we subscribe to this idea of I am who I was born to be, God made me this way, God made you a certain way, God had a plan, but we've been corrupted. So by that definition, and if you can agree that sin has corrupted everything, everyone from birth, our nature is sinful, is corrupted, it's blurred. So how can we truly discover who we were supposed to be if who we are is corrupted. We can't. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to rely on what he tells us is holiness. Verse 19 goes on talking about all the bad things. Don't have to spend too much time on that. And then jumping into verse 22, part of our liturgy for today, is the calling, the calling on the person's life, right? As Christians, you've heard me say this many times, who we are, how we act, how we speak, truly reflects whether we have Jesus in our hearts, whether we truly have the Holy Spirit guiding us or not. A person who is holy and set apart will become more like Jesus each and every day. I can't, I can't express how many... How much more, like, there's no other way to explain it. And this is the measure of whether or not you're becoming more like Jesus, right? People always ask, well, how do I know I'm on the right track? How do I know that I'm, I'm becoming more like Jesus? How do I know this is the right? This is it. This verse right here, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The more you become like Jesus the more of these things should become easy to you. 
Are you more loving? Are you more caring? Are you more patient? Are you more giving? Generous? Are you more self-controlled? And my favorite part about this verse is that against such things, there is no law. People this day and age knock on Christians all the time. They comment and they criticize and, and, and I can see it and I totally understand it. Because once again, their definition of what a Christian is isn't what the Bible says a Christian is. To the world, we're supposed to be absolutely perfect, absolutely loving, and absolutely, absolutely pristine in everything that we do. They define us as goody-goody and no fun, that we're against X, Y, Z. But, but when we look at Scripture, it's very clear here. The life of a, spirit, a person living by the Spirit, a life that, that produces what the Spirit wants in us, is somebody who's loving, who's joyful, who's peaceful, who's patient, who's kind, who's good, who's faithful, gentle, has self-control. Nothing they say can ever tell us that living this way is wrong. And it's true that the world has hijacked some of these words and changed their definition and changed their meaning. But that's a discussion for another time. That's a discussion for people who are interested in, in, in following and, and understanding what it means to be holy. Don't engage, don't engage combatively, fighting for our freedoms. It's silly. Win them over. You know, there's, there's, this, there's this, this saying that um, people have used for a long time. And I don't, I don't know that, that we use it very much in the Asian context. But in, in, the, in, in the Western world, the saying is, kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. The biblical, the biblical equivalent is heap coals on their head. <laughs> and what we mean by this is that when we live a holy and pleasing life, when we live a life that's truly gracious, truly like Jesus, nothing can be said against you. And if they do, it's all false accusations. Verse 24 says, Lo, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So live holy lives. Become more holy each and every day. That means becoming less sinful each day too, right? And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. And that's the huge thing that I think North American Christianity has missed lately. Do not become conceited. Jesus was not a proud and arrogant man. He was humble and gentle. And I think that's the hardest thing North American Christians need to get their heads around. Right? Let us not become conceited. Let's not provoke each other. And let's not cause each other to envy one another. And this commentary, this verse right here, says so much about the current state of Christianity that it should cut us deep 
it should cause us fear that we're not actually living according to the Spirit. So that's the measure. If we're more loving, more patient, more peaceful, more joyful, and we're not conceited, we're not proud and arrogant, we're not combative and provoking, and we don't cause people to be jealous, that's the marker of the life of the Spirit. In chapter 6, we'll be looking at what it means to be doing good, what it means to truly live in community, living in the new creation. And as we continue journeying through the book of Galatians, I want you to remember that of all things in this book, living by the Spirit is meant to set us apart in our heart. We are still supposed to engage in society, to be that beacon of hope. But above all, I want you to remember this. Living a holy life has nothing to do with attaining perfection. It has everything to do with living obediently to Jesus. Everything to do with living obediently to Jesus. Life by the Spirit is living for Christ. Living like Christ. And that's, that's the whole that's the whole purpose. Like everything that Christianity is, is wrapped up in this whole idea of living like Jesus. And that's how we can measure whether we're on the right track or not. All right. Remember, holiness is not about perfection, it's about your obedience. And that's the conclusion that we have to live with. It's all for Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you have brought us through this journey. And as we look into the more practical ways to live as Christians, especially in this day and age, how we can be non-offensive and yet integrated in the world and still stand for our morals and ethics, I pray that you would give us wisdom. As we go into this week, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would truly carry us, and that you would remind us to be more loving, more patient to be more kind and generous. In all that we say and do, let us be more like you. Pray this in your name. Amen.